0: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
1: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
2: Well, what a truly extraordinary day of tennis. At the risk of repeating myself, which I probably already have, just a mind-bogglingly tense dramatic unexpected day of tennis i say unexpected it was a day of of massive contrast from that perspective i think you have the the seeming inevitability of nadal and djokovic meeting in the semi-finals from the moment the draw was made they were on that collision course and that's why the big three, now possibly the big two, however you want to see it, are so great that they so consistently reach the matches that they are scheduled to reach. And yes, there were great challenges by their opponents today, but that inevitable collision course has reached its natural conclusion. And then in the two women's matches today, you have the ultimate in the unexpected, in the surprise, in the other beauty of sport. We've kind of seen all the facets of the beauty of this sport today both the expected and the unexpected I think and some Covid curfew drama to boot.
1: (laughs) And I really like how you've framed both of those things as positive. So often I see when the big three get to the final stages people say oh it's really boring. And when the women's draw gets four first-time Grand Slam semi-finalists, people say, oh, there's no consistency, what's going on? And I just think both of those takes are way too extreme, and I love it that we've got such different tours at the moment with such different experiences, which could well change in the next few years, and it will evolve, but I think we're lucky to have draws where they can be so different and give us as fans and viewers and people in the media something to enjoy and talk about i i, I think both are fine and both are better than that actually both are great good for you matt i love that and
3: and, and i mean look it really does come down to how you view it and mm. how you choose to view it you can take a negative stance on it if you want but there's so much good about it isn't there? You outlined it beautifully, I think. And, I, and it did occur to me when it was clear that, as well as Berrettini, for instance, tonight was playing, that it wasn't going to end up being a, an upset. And you are going to get the, I don't even know what number, what number are we up to with Nadal and Djokovic? I mean, it's, it's in the 40s or 50s, isn't
2: 57? it now? It's in the 50s. I think it might even be 58. Mm.
3: It's in the I high
2: mean, 50s. Standby start- caller.
3: You know, the way you described it at the start, Catherine, that feeling of inevitability, but the fact that they are always 100%, it feels like pretty much reliable to get to to where they're supposed to get. And it's got that martina Chrissy Ever feel to it, that rivalry now. It's starting to enter those extremes. I mean, they played each other over 70 times, didn't they? And we're getting towards that. Um, and, and I think because the other players are are not managing to stop them you need them to face ultimately you need in order for them to to for the to be a feeling of jeopardy for one of, one of them's got to lose um and then in terms of those women's semi-finals i, I it is quite jaw dropping to see how extreme it has gone because I think none of them really would have figured in in even the depth conversation of what could happen. But I, at the same time, I feel like I've been introduced now to people that I care about for the next few days mm. and will hopefully care about in the future in terms of being competitors in the sport that we're we're covering.
2: It's a tournament that is laughing in the face of the concept of the mix, <laughs> I think. The mix is temporarily dead. <laughs> to be revived, and... definitely, in two short weeks' time, I think. <laughs> and also predictions. Uh, yes. Oh, Rhythm God. I mean, RIP. going to be I was, a, I was an an looking
1: unpleasant sight. I was looking through our pre-tournament predictions that we do with some of our Kickstarter backers. About 60 people entered. Three people have Maria Sachary in the semifinals and no one else has any of the other players. <sighs> In Oh, my word.
2: They might have to get a special little trophy, Mm. (laughs) those people. Um, I don't think it's ever too early for a barnstorming Matt stat. Um, It's not the newsletter stat. You'll have to sign up to the newsletter for that. But Mm -hmm. it is one uh, that Matt posted on his Twitter today, at Matt Roberts TTP. He's just in case um, you're in doubt about whether it's the right one. The picture looks a lot like Pierre Ruger Bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the badger. Um so Zidanšek, Pavličková, Krachikova, Zachary. Roland Garros 2021 is only the second major in the open era to feature four first-time Grand Slam semi-finalists in the women's singles. The other one was the 1978 Australian Open in an era when not many top players travelled down under. So in like-for-like Grand Slam major terms, this is a first time, really. You know, it, it was quite a yeah. different it's, landscape,
3: it's Australian
2: Opens, in, in, in the late 70s.
3: I was thinking as well, when when we were just describing it a little earlier, how this will become one of those yardsticks one of those sort of disqualifiers for nothing this dramatic could possibly happen because mm-hmm. this is the precedent
1: now
2: mm. well
1: it's also a great feeling i should say when you've researched that stat and it comes off that is how long did <laughs> so that you take ha- so
2: you had it ready to go before the results point. were in yeah on match it's okay so it did it well I suppose the the result of the first match was inconsequential to the stat. It was correct? all
1: about Sachary. So it was only the second Shvontek. it was
2: it was all about Zachary Schwante. Okay, well let's deal with that one first because the defending cha- champion exited at the quarterfinal stage today in straight sets 6-4, 6-4 at the hands of Maria Sachary, reaching a Grand Slam semi-final for the first time, making it two Greeks into the French Open semifinals alongside Stefanos Tsitsipas, of course, and they've got a lovely friendship. They say lovely things about one another. It's all loveliness. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was the story of this match today? Because Svitolnaya was in it for sure. It wasn't she. She wasn't her best, but she equally it wasn't just as simple as Svantek had a horror show or Svantec was injured. Yes, she received treatment on her right thigh in the early stages of the second set and she referenced after the match that she had slept really badly the night before. She obviously... It was a little bit vague, wasn't it? But just not there physically. Um, the, The extent of that, I'm not sure we'll ever quite know, but she definitely wasn't playing down the fact that she obviously wasn't 100% but that that is not the whole story here I I don't think what do you think Matt
1: no I agree I think certainly Svantec was a little bit off her game almost certainly this injury she was carrying on her thigh contributed to that but as you said the, the story of the of this match is is deeper and richer than that I think and a lot of it in my opinion, has to do with how well Zachary played. I don't think I've seen someone at Roland Garros in these last two years, I mean, I certainly haven't, be as unperturbed by Sviantec's power as what Zachary was. She is so physically strong, and she was able to stand up to her in those rallies and send the power back. And most notably, she was targeting the tech forehand, just directing everything into that shot, which, you know, tech has got great ground strokes both sides. It's tough to know which one is the stronger one, but I think most people would point to her forehand as the stronger shot, certainly the one that hits the more winners. But Zachary broke it down. I mean, just went into it with power relentlessly and... It was a an incredible game plan that she just executed to perfection. And I think Fiontek said afterwards she was really surprised by it. She was caught out by by how much that forehand wing was being targeted.
2: Zachary was asked about that game plan uh, on court after the match, wasn't she? And she said, oh, I'm not going to give the game away because I'll have to play <laughs> her again. As if like we all hadn't noticed what, <laughs> what the game plan was, bless her.
1: <laughs> yes, I really enjoy it when players do that. And, and and she actually did it again in a press conference. A journalist <laughs> tried to get it out of her again, but she was keeping her cards close to her chest. But as you said, everyone could see it. And I think the other thing that she did brilliantly was serve so well. I think Zachary's serve has been a little bit of a weakness, perhaps, at times in her career. But today in the second set, I think she won 20 of 24 points behind the serve and... You know, there was a lot of pressure there. She was ahead early. She got the early break and she just served it out, which I just thought was really, really impressive. So sort of mentally strong and tactically
2: very strong as well. I must confess I was waiting for her to falter and I would have found it very understandable had she faltered. I think I had in the back of my mind the match she played late at night against Bianca Andreescu in in Miami where it, it was too simplistic and unfair to say she faltered, but she definitely had opportunities to win that match, as I recall, and and blinked a couple of times. You know, I've seen her, I've seen her racket arm look look very heavy um, in in tight moments, and you know, we'd we'd just watched the previous semi final inv- involving Coco Goff and Barbora Krachikova, which in the most crucial stages was totally dominated by by heavy right arms you know the the match was being dictated by who had the the heavier racket arm you know the tension the nerves the stakes felt so so high and that was uh that was the biggest feature of the match but she she, she played like that was everything and that was nothing somehow like the the stakes were were writ large on her face and the intensity of her Throughout the match, her desire was just seeping out of her paws, and yet somehow she also had the coolness of of a woman not consumed with with how important that match was in in the context of her career. her her I mean, I know it's very root one to talk about the strength and the upper body strength of Maria Sachary. Um, It almost feels lazy to to point out how muscular and strong she is. But it struck me how incredible she is when she's pulled out of position, which of course is what Svantec does to people, how she's not able, she doesn't just have the foot speed to track the ball down. She has the upper body and core strength to produce, if not a winner, then a proper deep rally ball. From that position, and not just a defensive shot, um, that that struck me time and time again today. From an, a seemingly imbalanced position, she was able to sort of summon some kind of poise, just by virtue of her abdominal and uh, trap muscles. Is that are those <laughs> are those the ones that stick out sort of behind your neck? I think so. I bet she got
1: complimented by her COVID nurse on her deltoid (laughs) muscles, Catherine.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, possibly a bit. I will take that comparison as a compliment Mm. and we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Mm. Matt.
3: Yeah, she can absorb and deflect, can't she? Because she has that, that strength. And it's not just strength, there's timing as well. There's all the other things that go into producing powerful shots. I didn't see... Much of this match live. I've watched some of the highlights afterwards. I was driving down to London because I'm I'm down here uh, for Queens, which starts next week. Um, He's but, getting closer. Uh, oh yeah, sure is. We're all getting um, closer yeah. to one yeah, another. That's, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, we're all in the, we're all we're going to be in the same city tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, we might even meet one point. Um, but the a couple of things that struck me about this victory is it feels like this is the day she fulfilled her potential. This is the day she just put it all together, where she's just been a a number of parts that have a couple of worked and not the rest uh, over the years. And the one moment that really has stayed with me, and I was thinking about it while I was driving down, hearing commentary of her winning. I remembered back that match she played against Jessica Pigula when she was, I think she saved about six match points all with clean winners mm. and then won the match. And I remember watching that late at night with um, my son was about to go to bed and yet he, he's only nine, but he was just entranced by this this sight of this woman just going for it when she's got her back against the wall and, and managing to conjure a, vi- a victory out of it. And, uh, and I did think at that point, you know, if you can do that, maybe there's another level in this player. Mm. And I still, I still had sufficient doubt, and so many of the other players are so good that I just still didn't put her in the mix. If you like, um, the, the, the but, mix
2: is dead. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry about the mix. Don't have to worry about it. It's not much. worrying <laughs> about us. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but you know, she's just by sheer strength of will and strength of physicality and her general ability. She has just wrestled that narrative away and imposed her own. And she said, this is who I am. This is what I can do. And I don't care who's in the way. And bloody impressive, isn't it? And and as you say, just the nerve as mm-hmm. well, to hold that nerve.
1: There's a bit of a sliding doors scenario about, about this run to the semifinals here because she is saying that the French Open being pushed back a week really helped her because after Rome oh, really? she was not in a particularly mm. good place and she actually took herself off, I think, to a Greek island mm. and, and didn't, didn't train for five, six days and then called her coach Tom Hill afterwards and said, right, now I'm ready, we can get back to work. But she, she's crediting that time for needing a kind of a reset.
2: He said, take yourself away, don't even go to the gym, don't do anything. We we won't keep in touch. You call me when you're ready. Mm. Um, and yeah, you can just imagine that phone call. I am ready. <laughs> that would that would be the start of uh, act act three in the film, wouldn't it? Or the end of act two would be the phone call. I'm ready. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I think that partnership that she's got with Tom Hill is particularly important in in these COVID times where you're spending an awful lot of time with your coach, you know, it, you're not allowed to, you know, eat with other players at the hotel. You're with your coach, for example. And I think they've built a partnership over two, three years now where they get on. And I think, I think that's paying off, you know, lots of players chop and change their coach. I'm sure a lot of the time for good reason, but having stuck with Tom Hill for a while, they've, it's just established this chemistry, this understanding, and I think a genuine friendship, actually. And it's it's kind of helped her, at, you know, at the moment. She's, she's able to to say to him, look, I need a week off. And she's able to enjoy their time together when they are together in these bubbles. I think I think it's quite important, that relationship.
2: Mm. Mm. I think there needs to be some sort of uh, Maria, Zachary's... Biceps versus Azan Karatsev's calves. <laughs> <laughs> how how can that contest be decided?
1: What well, like crushing stuff?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> crushing melons.
2: Yeah. Like world's strongest man. Where they have to <laughs> push something up a hill. But Karatsev would have to do it with his legs, so I don't know. I don't know how that anyway, we'll we'll finesse the formula and uh, we'll get back to you on that one. Maria Zachary will face in her first ever Grand Slam semi final Barbora Krachikova, who beat Coco Goff in well, as 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 dramatic a straight setter as you'll find. I mean, the the story of this match was all in the opening set. Kudryavtseva riddled by nerves in the opening few games of the match. David, I think you even sent us all a message saying how how much you felt for her because it there was a moment there where it looked like it it could have been a horrible day. Yeah, I thought it could
3: have ended up being awfully one-sided because I think, um, she was broken immediately and she was, and I, I, I couldn't get out of my head what she'd said in the previous round about how she'd been completely paralyzed with nerves before she went out there. And then when she went out there, she was all right. But I, I did think, well, is there a point where actually that just becomes completely, Overwhelming, and I thought this could be the day. And I thought Goff is the sort of player; she's so sort of busy, and it can all go very quickly. But Kritikova got herself level fairly soon in the match, and at least then kind of was part of the match. And yet, still, she should have lost that first set, shouldn't she?
2: Yeah, absolutely, she should because uh, yeah, she fought back three all. And then it's it's nip and tuck all the way into a tie break at which point the nerves just take over from both players i mean uh, not necessarily the highest quality tie break, but for tension and drama, it was right up there it w i mean i i could my my arm was starting to feel leaden and sore just by watching it <laughs> <laughs> um But uh, Coco Goff looked to be getting the better of it all. She took a 6-4 lead in that tiebreak, had two set points, had them fall by the wayside, and then my stream cut out at 6-all. So somebody else explain what happened from that point because I was busy throwing my iPad on the ground.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You think she's exaggerating. This definitely happened. (laughs) Well, yeah, so Goff had had... I think three set points prior to the tiebreak, as well in a couple of other games. And then she had two more at six, four. And this was the strange thing about the match because Krikshikova, as you said, was showing outward visible signs of nerve, of, of nerves in particular, th- abandoning several ball tosses. That was a real tell of how nervous she was, I think. And yet on those points, which were the crucial points she didn't back down. She kept going for it and she played incredible tennis. And the, I think the four points she reeled off to grab that first set, you know, were basically all winners. It was strange. You know, she was tough as nails in those points when she, when she needed to be. It was, it was so impressive. And I think from Goff's perspective, not winning a 7-6 set when you've had set points just must be the hardest thing to recover from. You know, something in your grasp, slipping through your fingers like that. And at the start of the second set, her, her game did go off just for about 15 minutes or so. And that was enough for Krejcikova to build a double break lead, which in the end she needed because, you know, I think she was, was she 5 love up or 5-1 up? And then Goff started coming back a little bit. And I think eventually Krejcikova converted her... Fifth or sixth match point. Um, there, there were so many nerves on display, and yet I was just impressed by how Kriachikova did manage to play through them, and you know, n- just keep going for it. Just just keep that positive mindset. I thought was was so impressive.
2: It, it it'll hurt for golf this one undoubtedly because she's so fiercely competitive, and as much as she's incredibly mature. She also wants it all and wants it all now, doesn't she? She's she's impatient in the way that I I think all champions were at one stage. And, you know, I, I'm sure she won't yet be seeing it as as a learning experience, but I'm sure she'll look back on it as an important learning experience. I know that's such mm. a boring grown up thing to say. True though. But no, it I think is you're true. Right.
3: with her with her in particular, I think she will be once she's had time to just get over that immediate she's She's borrowing the
2: Sit-to-Pass grief chamber just for a couple yeah. of days, I think. At the moment, well, she's it might doing be a Well, avail- it might be available for her.
3: She's hurling her iPad down as we speak. <laughs> but she's, uh, in the weeks to come, I suspect she'll be watching that match back, uh, as as painful as it is, because she will want to learn what happened and why it happened and what was going through her mind and how to correct it because she's corrected a lot of other little bits mm. in her game over the last six to eight months. And I don't know, I, just, I think the, the the degree of disappointment and hurt for someone like her, especially the age she is, and also, I don't know, the the kind of character I think she is. I don't know her, but my just impressions of her are that she, she will be ultimately better for it because there'll be so much attention to detail that she ends up becoming almost impregnable in the long run I think because how do you get to her that's what I think you'll end up seeing with her
1: in the words of her hitting partner who I think is called Enzo he apparently said to her that match will make you a champion and she said I really do believe that.
2: Yeah,
3: that that adds up to me. It really does. What a great line!
2: Oh, Enzo can come on the pod. He's got a, <laughs> He's Enzo got to turn Zidane, a phrase. Up his sleeve. Enzo
3: and whoever coach uh, coaches.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> yes, he's been great. Zidane Sheikh, I will get it Zidane right, Shek. folks.
2: Yes, yes, we are trying. Um, so, what about Kritikova then? Um, obviously, just just an incredible. Moment for her. I mean, we've you know we've been we've been swept up in Kudjikova for all fortnight, haven't we, David? I know you have in particular. Um, I get emotional
3: every time yeah, you talk. Yeah, you I don't do, know what it is it about. Really I does. think it's it's the Novotna thing. I think because I I was a, around watching live when Novotna was going through her misery at Wimbledon, and then the ultimate. It's the ultimate fairy tale, isn't it? Really, uh, at Wimbledon. I mean, obviously her her story has ended tragically as we know and because she coached Kritikova and Kritikova keeps so openly talking about it in such a I don't know it disarms me every single time and, uh, and she just seems such a lovely person and and I love the way she's just transferred her game from doubles into singles and and overcome what was clearly real fear and panic about ever making it as a singles player and uh She's just blossoming in front of our eyes this fortnight. She has done all year, but look at this. I mean, the semifinals of the French Open and look at the people she's beaten along the way. I mean, her game stacks up against anybody and that's really interesting to, because she's different.
2: Mm. Well, we'll see her again in action tomorrow. Both women's uh, semifinals will take place in tomorrow's day session.
0: Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
3: Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it.
2: We got one little glimpse of what a proper night session with a proper crowd at the French Open could be like, and then we got a <laughs> glimpse. <laughs> <laughs> then we were thrust back <laughs> coldly and harshly <laughs> into the into the bitter reality.
3: It was farce, it, wasn't it? Though it, I mean, was, it was,
2: it was just. You where do we where do we start it with it? Should we start in the hour and twenty minutes of thumb twiddling time in between uh, day session and night session? Hmm. Mm. Just I mean, th- everyone's, th- everyone's is- just awaiting, knowing I'm- damn well that. Djokovic Berrettini ain't finishing before curfew. Probably finishing about an hour and twenty minutes after curfew.
3: <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably what did happen. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I I didn't give that too much thought. I was I was busy doing other things during that during the interval period. But then when when. Berrettini eventually got back into the match and the crowd noise I mean it was 5,000 people wasn't it it, it sounded like 20,000 and it was just so uplifting and so exciting and then to, to go to silence. Oh, I mean, it was a mistake. It was I a mistake. That was the most extreme, I think. Maybe it's because it's so recent, but to me, it feels like the most extreme example of this period of our lives <laughs> of the lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like uh, it's like when uh, Boris promised everyone a, a sort of normal Christmas, and then four <laughs> days later, went, "Oh no, uh, absolutely no Christmas whatsoever! Cancel <laughs> all your turkeys." <laughs> yeah but the turkeys had already been slaughtered at that stage it was like that Um, uh, yeah so I mean my feeling is that the crowd made that match the contest that it was I don't think there would have been a fourth set without the crowd it was amazing how much of a contest it still felt at two sets to love to Djokovic with Djokovic playing near perfect tennis i think i think jo- berrettini played pretty well he was just wa- he was just watching shots that had been winners against all his other opponents this tournament come back to him
1: you know how we've discussed in the past that we thought the berrettini game or that that type of game big serve big forehand but an obvious weakness how we've thought that could be outdated now and yet, in the last few weeks, we've seen Berrettini really bloom and look dangerous. It struck me today that that style of play is just outdated against someone like Novak Djokovic, and I think it is against Nadal as well. That the way they are able to hone in on that weakness and exploit it is extraordinary. I mean, it, it's, cruel, it's all isn't it? It's all very well saying hit to Berrettini's backhand, but. When he's pummeling shots at you, it's blooming hard to get it on his backhand. And yet Djokovic manages it off 130 mile an hour serves and off huge forehands and just just diffuses, deflects and sort of dissects his game. And it, it was him at his best in those, I mean, for most of the match, really, but particularly those first two sets.
3: He was so dialed in because he knew that people were talking about Berrettini because he knew that Berrettini is he's gone up an, a level he's dangerous now, and he was he was ready for whatever and the crowd as well I think it puts a premium on the senses for someone like Djokovic and and it was getting it was getting pretty antsy out there as well there was some aggression right from the start there was some. I remember him turning around and having a go at some people in the crowd, and he roared at them. And then, as as it wore on, I mean, he he took over, and he he sort of just it was like he was on autopilot, really. And Berrettini, I felt, was shocked in that second set; he did not know what to do. Really, it wasn't his the stuff he does was no longer working. And actually, great credit to him that he fought back and and won that third set. And he did it; he had to do it with inspiration. He had to play the peak of his ability to win that third set and he did fair play and it would have been at least interesting to have seen set four with a crowd but i mean he still did a pretty good job to make it close didn't he in in the fourth set
2: yeah yeah he did i i think he i think but the players that what happened for anybody that doesn't know is obviously we have had other matches on the outside courts interrupted by the the curfew Um, at this tournament but it's been you know there's been sort of a a brief pause in play with the players on court as you know the extra people shuffle out but what happened with this was the atmosphere was such that people didn't want to leave it was Australian Open-esque and it was clear that in order to get people to leave or at least I think this is I'm interpreting that this is what was, was happening. They needed to get the players off off the court and sort of officially suspend play um in order to get stewards out and do whatever strong arming was required to to get people to leave and adhere to curfew and There were some pretty stubborn people in that stadium refusing to go, so it was like an official <laughs> curfew interruption long enough that they had to have a three minute warm up again um which really put the nail in the coffin of how weird it was i thought the yeah. it was like okay this is it really highlighted this is just a new match now um it was so it was just being plunged into an ice cold bucket of water and so tough for both players so yeah. so tough for them um that <laughs> There was the most extraordinary reaction from Novak Djokovic on match point after winning that contest, which given, to quote Andy Murray, even at two sets to one, even with Matteo Berrettini having won the previous set and seemingly on a roll, Andy Murray tweeted that he would put his house on Novak Djokovic winning that match. As much as everyone was enjoying Berrettini bringing it and making a match of it and making it fun, I'm not sure you could have found anybody that thought at that stage that Berrettini might actually be winning it. But Djokovic's reaction suggested that he thought there really was a risk of him being dragged deep there, that he really did fight his way through something extremely big there, or maybe it, maybe what he fought his way through was something internal, I don't know. But he was a man that has that just fought his way through something and was releasing the emotions of it in a way. You know, we have seen some guttural roars and some chest thumping from Djokovic in the past. We've seen some shirt ripping accompanying it as well. But the look in his eyes tonight shook me. I've not, I've not seen anything like that
3: before. I think from he did one before, and it would have been again in an empty stadium because it's amplified and it's by the fact that there's nobody there, and and it's done in an empty stadium and it's echoing around Philip Court, Philippe Chatrier. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this in terms of the aggression in him the anger or the frustration or whatever it is that's that's making him do that i actually think stress causes it and so obviously i mean he's playing brilliantly the guys come back at him it's all this stuff but the big thing the trigger moment i think was the fall when he fell and he cut his hand and he he got dirty in the clay and he doesn't like it he didn't like that feeling of being flat on his face having lost his footing not trusting his footing for a moment to do and he was dusting himself you could see in his face he was like i can't believe this i can't believe this is happening you know look at the state of me that's that's the vibe he was giving off to me he was he was just irritated by it all and then yeah i mean it, it shook me as well i have
1: to say you're just like what are you doing <laughs> and and that frustration we see from Djokovic often is accompanied by a racket smash or some kind of roar during the match, and this just felt completely pent up. I've just quickly had a look at his press conference transcript and if, to see if he was asked about that reaction, and he was, and he said, this match had it all, falls, crowd, break. It was a lot of intensity. I felt under tension the entire time. I missed some of the chances to end the match in the third set. I didn't want to give him opportunities to dictate the match. It was super stressful to constantly be under pressure on my service games. The reaction in the end was just me liberating that tension that was building up for the entire match. Mm, Makes total sense. It doesn't quite explain just how raw and how intense it was, but certainly it gives an indication of where it was coming from.
2: Mm. So there we have it, episode fifty-eight it will be of Novak Djokovic against Rafael Nadal, because Nadal earlier on in the day session had beaten Diego Schwartzmann uh, himself in four sets. Schwartzmann just doing the most tremendous job to to make a match of that. And I know that sounds I I can hear the tone of voice in which I've said that, and it sounds patronising and dismissive doesn't it and it's it's not fair to Diego Schwartzman but he did he did do a brilliant job of making that match as entertaining and as much of a contest as it could have been he just was never going to win it
3: no, I mean, it's it's like trying to go up Everest in your scooter, isn't it? He's yeah. just,
2: he's he's just brilliant. foot to the floor and I'm going to
3: go absolutely as hard as I can. Oh, I can't
2: get up. And, it's <laughs> I mean, it's great what, seeing someone have that approach though, isn't it? Foot to the know, floor. He,
3: he gave everything. And and I, I do I find him an exhilarating tennis player to watch when he's in that form. The the speed is are going and the racket head speed and the way he's trying to take on Nadal like a little dog having to go at a big dog um (laughs) but, but I mean it's it's um the level of Nadal the thing with Nadal is he then flicked a switch and matched that intensity and his feet are going a million miles an hour I only saw the final set the the level he reached in that final set was like the level Djokovic mm. was reaching
1: mm. early on in his match. The these players are on another planet, aren't they? Schwartzman plays Nadal hard. You know, Nadal has lost four sets at Roland Garros since 2017. Half of them have been to Schwartzman. He, he's a guy who can cause him problems. It's just almost impossible for him to beat Nadal to sus- you know to sustain that level and I think this was a tight match, 4-3 in the third set, and then Nadal went up so many levels, and by the end, it was it was frighteningly good. The conviction with which he was hitting the ball, the ease with which he was hitting winners, I think this is exactly what he needed. He needed that test mm. to bring out these other levels. And What
3: happened at the end of that second set, Matt? Because I, 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 I didn't see it, but I saw a note from you about it.
1: Well, it was, I mean... The actual set point was so tight, you know, Nadal had a nice serve, had a mid-court forehand and instead of just whacking it and putting it away like he so often does, he did a really bad drop shot, which Schwarzman got up to and then Nadal still had a look at a pass and he shanked it out. It felt like complete tension, you know, his arm, as we were talking about earlier, his arm had gone all heavy and Schwarzman had done that to him. Both of them talking about tension, isn't that fascinating? Him and John. Yeah, Lynch. absolutely. You know, Schwarzman had, had put him in that position. Put you know, tested him. But I think, I think Nadal losing a set is a bigger deal to everyone else than it is to Nadal. He he doesn't panic. He has such respect for who he's playing, and he trusts him himself. Trusts his game. And as I said, it's just what he needed. I think to. to to click into top gear, which he was absolutely in by the end of the match.
2: Mm, Schwarzman could have done him a favour today, I Mm. think, by sort of helping him, you know, Nadal can now go to sleep and saying, right, I'll pick up where I left off, rather than, right, I've got work to do. Mm. Um, We'll have time tomorrow to look ahead to Nadal against Djokovic, episode 58, which is which is just extraordinary. It's it's a way to go before it's ever Everton of rattle over levels, but as you say David, it's uh it's on the way. But of course we do have the two women's semi-finals tomorrow, both of them in, in the day session. Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova against Tamara Zidanšek is first, and that's followed by Barbora Krejčíková against Maria Sakkari. Before that is the mixed doubles final. And that is Joe Salisbury of uh, Great Britain, of course, and partner Desiree Kravchik against unexpected Aslan Karatsev and Alina (laughs) Faznina. Aslan Karatsev could be a French Open champion by tomorrow. (laughs) I, I mean... I still can't believe he's in the mixed doubles final. But anyway, I should learn to expect the unexpected from Aslan Karatsev. Uh, on the, the Simon Mathieu court, it is men's doubles semi-finals. Uh, Pablo Andujar, Pedro Martinez against uh, unexpected Alexander Bublik. Anyone else? Surprised by that? No, just me. Uh, and Andre Golubev is uh, is his partner. That's the uh, all uh, Kazakh pairing. And the other men's doubles semi final is Pierre Rugebeau, Nicolas Maou, The dream is still alive uh, against Juan Sebastian Cabal and Robert Farah. The boys and girls events are at the quarter final stages. Uh, the uh, girls' top seed is called. Kazint Saver so it's sort of a Kazakina uh Putin Saver hybrid. I don't know if she plays like that, but uh, I'll make a point of of watching her play at some stage. She's in the quarterfinals tomorrow taking. I would watch a hybrid of Linda Noskova uh who is seventeen no sixteen years old. Not often you meet a, a teenage Linda these days, is it? But anyway,
3: <laughs> sure we've had that joke before is but it? i like it
2: uh, and the top seed <laughs> in the boys uh, is still in as well yuncheng shang uh, he is playing uh sean Quenin quinnah
1: oh he he beats leo borg today I oh think, that top seed
2: there we go uh, so, that is your action for tomorrow. Who's winning the women's semifinals?
3: Oh, that's a great question, isn't it? It's um, still for
2: time, David, come on. I have
3: gone for Zidanecek to win that one and to face Zachary, I think.
2: Matt? Gosh,
1: I mean, genuinely, no idea, but I think I've gone for Pavlyuchenkova I might go her I, I don't know. I just think having to follow beating Sviantek feels like quite a difficult task. But God knows, tough. So interesting. Tough, mm.
2: tough one for the for the players that played today. I think. Mm. I mean, obviously that's what they're used to in tour level events, but they're also used within this event to the rhythm of day on day off. It's not necessarily about the the physical recovery i know n- neither of the matches today were massively long but just that that grand slam rhythm um just is just a completely different thing isn't it but um i suppose it's the same same for both players uh in that semi final uh so that's today and tomorrow goodness me i mean i'm going to stop i'm going to stop expecting things from this french open cuz um yeah, every, <laughs> everything my mind conjures does not come to pass. Uh, it's a good job I'm not entered in any form of predictions contest. Oh wait,
3: <laughs> several.
2: <laughs> uh, on the subject of predictions, Zeus, my apologies. Uh, Scouse or mouse, though. Matt, what a day!
1: Yes, we we came in after hours with a <laughs> with a late late uh, Djokovic in four got me some much needed points
2: Matt uh sorry David you and Rogue are in the same same boat as as myself and Zeus
1: Yeah
3: I've been a
2: disgrace for a number of days mm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rickety old rowing boat we're we're headed for shore um we have a mascot for the tournament and it's lovely Phoebe the Corgi Uh, not a crown inspired corgi Uh, a corgi from before corgis became the thing again as a result of the crown so phoebe was cool before anyone was cool Uh, billy jean is with my parents at the moment but she's still sponsored by billy jean king Uh, chris albert lee is still our executive producer and of course we still have shout outs matt who are they for
1: Therefore, Angela Link. All right, Angela.
2: Hello, Angela. Angela Lansbury. Who's that? <laughs> Angela Lansbury is murder. She wrote. Oh yeah, I I, knew I, knew <laughs> I, I thought you were going to do a tennis one. And well, Angela Buxton. Oh yes,
3: very
1: good. Thank you. I still like our Angela the best, though.
2: <laughs> Next up, Matt.
1: Next is Tony Del Rosario.
2: Oh hello. Oh my word.
1: What a name.
2: From the Sopranos. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, Tony. Thanks very much for your support.
2: Yeah, thank you, Tony. You sound Can I borrow your name? You sound very cool. It's awesome. And
1: last one today is Michelle Chen. All right, Michelle.
2: Hello, Michelle well uh, what i was going to say is that's a hybrid of michelle kwan who was my favorite ever figure skater and karen chen a current figure skater who's also very good so it's i reckon michelle's a it's a figure skater it's a it's a figure skating hybrid name yeah brilliant
3: Mm. well thanks for your support
2: thank you very much for your support michelle we appreciate it we appreciate you for listening uh, we appreciate Matt for everything he does, uh, particularly for the newsletter, which is astonishingly good. To uh, so get yourself on the mailing list, uh, we appreciate you, David, as well. Uh, oh, I couldn't. <laughs> I saw your little face drop when I mentioned Matt. I thought I'm, I'm coming to you, David. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> David's David's great too. Thanks for listening. Leave us a review. Subscribe to the GD newsletter. And we'll speak to you tomorrow.